Well, hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into the Harbor Teaching Podcast. We hope that the messages you will hear are both uplifting and challenging. And now, welcome to the Harbor. So I'm going to tell you a story tonight to open about a woman named Anna Montez. Anna Montez. Hopefully I'm saying her name right. But Anna Montez, she was a star. She started in the Defense Intelligence Agency in 1985. And the Defense Intelligence Agency, from my understanding, is the military version of like the CIA doing reconnaissance work for the military. And this woman, she was good at her job. She uh, got promotions. She had incredible reviews. One time, the director of the CIA gave her a medal, which, like, that's pretty good when the director of the CIA gives you a medal. Like, that's, like, awesome, man. That's, that's very awesome. And uh, she worked doing reconnaissance work uh, in Cuba during the time when, when uh, Cuba was under the reign of Fidel Castro during the Cold War. This was, like, a very important time to be doing reconnaissance work in Cuba. And she was actually known as the queen of Cuba because of her great reconnaissance work. Her co-workers absolutely loved her. Also, she was not the only person in her family who was doing uh, intelligence work. Her brother and her sister both worked at the FBI, and her boyfriend worked with her at the Pentagon. So many people are familiar with Anna Montez, and they were familiar with intelligence work, but there was, in fact, a problem. And that problem was that 10 days after 9-11, after 16 years working in the DIA, she was arrested for being a spy for Cuba. And it was revealed that she had, in fact, been a spy for Cuba on the very day she was hired 16 years ago. It was turned out that she had a codes in her purse, which she carried around the Pentagon, which she would communicate to the Cubans. Turns out that she had a shortwave radio in her apartment, and turns out that she had secretly visited Cuba many times, and in fact, received a medal from Fidel Castro himself. Now, I tell you this story to tell you, because I want us to think about this idea of a spy. Now, what is a spy? A spy is someone on the inside, and their goal is to sabotage, to infiltrate, to overthrow. Now, we're in this series right now called We Are the Resistance. And in this series, we've kind of been thinking about this one specific verse, and the verse is Ephesians chapter 5, and really it's a couple of verses, but starting in verse 15, it says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So the big idea that we have been talking about throughout this whole series is that you and I, as followers of Jesus, we are in a war. We're in a war, and we're not in a war against other people, but we are in a war first off against Satan and the demonic powers. We're at war against the world system that's trying to pull us away. And we are in a war ultimately with our own flesh. And so we talked about this idea that because we're in a war, you and I, we're called to be a peaceful resistance. That we are called to live as a city on a hill. 
to live as an example to everyone else of, of who Jesus is and what it looks like to live in his kingdom. And, and last week, if you remember, if you were here, we talked about this idea that we, we are a resistance of our attention. The way that we fight is not by giving our attention to uh, the world and all the distractions in it, but we fight by, by giving our attention to Jesus. This week, we're going to talk about the idea, and, and, and the title of my message is this, a resistance of formation. Formation. Formation is another way to say change or, or development. So we're fighting a resistance of formation. Now, the, the, the reason that it's called this, I want you to think about this, because we're talking about fighting a war. We're talking about being in a battle. Now, most people, when they get excited to fight a war, or when it's the time to, to join the rebellion, to use the Star Wars terminology, right? When it's time to join the resistance, people are excited because there's something in the world that they know is off that they want to change. You guys tracking with me? So, so like there's something out there that, that needs to change. But what is fascinating is that, that for us, in the battle that we are in, the, the war, it does not start on the outside. It, it actually starts within us. And so the big idea that I want us to talk about tonight, and you can write this down, is that the only person that we are called to fight against is ourselves. Now, remember, we, one of the things we've been saying this whole time is that our battle is not against people. Our battle is, is not against flesh and blood, right? So I'm, I've been telling you, like, we want to think about a battle, but we don't want to be thinking, my enemy is the person that's annoying me, or my enemy is the person that posts on social media that I don't like, or anything like that. We're, we're, we're not, that's not our enemy. But, but there is one person that may be our enemy, and that, in fact, is our enemy, and that is ourselves. Let, let me explain. The, the authors of the New Testament are, are consistent that there is a battle that is going on inside of every follower of Jesus. And that battle is that, that there's, there's part of us, when we've been saved, that the Holy Spirit is active in our lives. And our spirits, we want to make Jesus king of our lives. We want to let him rule and let him reign. But then there's another part of us, which is called the flesh, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute, and that wants to let ourselves rule and reign, to get what we want, to make ourselves king, and there is constantly a battle between the spirit and the flesh in our lives, and the greatest battlefield, if you will, is inside of us, or, or to quote our brother in Christ, Kanye West, he, he once said, we're at war against terrorism. We're at war against racism. But most of all, anybody know it? We're at war with ourselves. So that's true. Now, the idea that we ourselves are one of our worst enemies is, is a little bit complicated. And so I, I want to take a moment and, and explain it to us. Okay? Because a lot of times, Christians, we have this language that we use sometimes that, that really puts ourselves down. Like, man, I am just a wretch. I am just garbage. I'm just a giant pile of poo that's been saved by grace, you know? We, we talk about ourselves like that. Have you guys, have you guys noticed this? And, and so I, I don't actually know necessarily if that's always the most helpful, and, and I'll explain why. Because first off, we got to realize this. Every human being, 
Whether or not they are a Christian is incredibly valuable. I've, I've put a couple of verses on the screen. First off, Genesis 1. It says, God created mankind. Mankind means all humans in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then Psalm 139. David writes to God and says, you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We got Andrew and James on the front row with hoodies that say fearfully and wonderfully made. That's so cool. And so every single person in this room and every single person that we walk into the, run into or, or see in, the, in, in, the, in our community Every person is incredibly valuable because they have been handcrafted by God. So, so our value, your value, is not dependent on any external factor, whether it's your IQ or, or whether it's your perceived good looks, whether it's your height or whether it's your uh, ability to, to create a certain thing or ability to do a certain thing. None of those things dictate your va value. The reality is that for, for us, like if, if we have a pet, and this is kind of sad, I'm sorry to go sad on us, but if we have a pet that gets sick, we say, unfortunately, we had to put the pet down, right? If, if, if you own a horse and the horse breaks its leg, like they're like, listen, you know, we got to take the horse out back. And out back doesn't mean like, you know, like to a happier pasture, you know? <laughs> They go to the happier pasture in the sky kind of a thing. But, but we don't say that about humans, right? No one, like, when they break their leg, it's like, well, I guess the quality of their life is not going to be that great, and therefore, let's just, let's just take them out back, you know? Like, we don't say that. When, when someone gets sick, we will literally move mountains to try and save them because... Every human being is valuable simply for the reason that, that they have the, the thumbprint of God, that they were made in the image of God. So that's every human being. But the Bible actually talks about uh, Christians, and not that Christians have more value, but God has an amazing identity for Christians. Look, look at just a few verses on the screen. This is some things that God says about Christians. First off, you are God's special possession. Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Right now, if you follow Jesus, God has actually moved into your body. That's how valuable you are. Romans says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that your mind isn't just this horrible place, but that God is changing your mind. In Ezekiel 36, God promises he's going to give us a new heart, that we have a heart that is, that, that is desiring to serve God. And so the reality is that, that we are incredibly valuable. And not only that, but as Christians, there are these beautiful things that God speaks over us. So when, when the Apostle Paul or when one of the writers of scriptures talks about Christians, they don't say you are a pile of doo-doo that, that God has just decided to, to save. They say, I'm writing to the saints, God sees you, he calls you a saint. He speaks highly of your identity. So we have to realize that, that, that the Bible is actually very honoring towards humanity, but also the Bible is very honest about how far humanity can fall and the depths of depravity that we can walk into. 
Just a couple things, and this is speaking, these verses are speaking about people who don't follow Jesus. One verse, Ephesians 2 says, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. In other words, if you don't know Jesus, you have a spirit, but that spirit is, is dead. It's not alive. It needs a miracle. God himself needs to breathe on it and bring you alive. Romans 1 says that people who, who aren't Christians, it says, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. In other words, people apart from God, they say, I don't want someone, I don't want God to be my king. I want to be king. I want to do life my way which ultimately doing life our way means that we're not in our own kingdom, but we're in the kingdom of Satan. And we are being deceived by someone whose goal is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So again, the Bible is very honest that, that we can fall very far. And even Christians who, who are, have been saved, the Bible is honest that there is a war waging in us as well. Look at this, and this is what we're gonna be talking about. This is kind of, Getting to my point here, it says in 1 Peter 2, it says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. I want you to focus on that word. That there is sinful desires within us that have actually declared war on us. That there's a part of us that says, I want to defeat and dominate the other part and I want to harm the other part. And then Paul says in Romans 13, to clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So the authors of scripture, they talk about this idea like sinful desires or the flesh. And just like Anna Montez was from the inside trying to bring harm to the Pentagon. In that same way, our sinful desires, our flesh from the inside is trying to harm us. It is trying to damage the Holy Spirit. Now we have to stop and acknowledge something. That what I'm talking about here, this, this idea, this language that we have to deny certain things within us. It's actually very, very counter to a narrative that is being preached to us quite a bit. And uh, Mark Sayers, he's a brilliant thinker, a pastor from Australia. He talks about it and he calls it the secular salvation narrative. You know that we as Christians, we have a salvation narrative, right? The salvation narrative is that God loves us, but that we are dead in our sins apart from God, that, that our sin separates us from God. But then there's a gospel that the good news is that Jesus died for us so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could enter into a relationship with God. And the way that we grow, to, to use a very theological term, our sanctification, our growth process is that we choose, I don't wanna live out my desires, I want to live out God's desires. And we believe that leads to true life. That, that life and life abundant comes from that. So, so that's the gospel. That's our salvation story. But the secular salvation story is 
that you were born with a perfectly good and perfectly beautiful inner child who everything about it was, was pure and precious and good. Now, if you, if you have had a kid, you know that's not actually true, right? Like, there's beautiful things. Charlie, you know what I'm talking about. Like, there's beautiful things about babies, but they're not just a perfectly good, pure, beautiful thing. There's, like, there's wickedness in there, too. You know what I'm saying? Am I right? Sure. So that's, that's the, the narrative. But then the narrative of, of the secular salvation story, again, this is pitched to all of us. We need to be aware of this. Is that, listen, the problem is that, that there are forces that have come into your life that have led you away from that purity that you once knew. And, and so forces like trauma in your past or forces like uh, just different, different people who, who have been in authority or been in power over you, they've forced you into this life that you don't want to live. And so the gospel is recognize that there's a beautiful inner child inside of you and the sanctification process is speak your truth to authority live your truth and that is how you're going to find true life and so that is being pitched to us that is being sold to us that our greatest joy is going to come by just trying to live out the most authentic version of ourselves that we can and the reality is that is in fact a lie and the reality is that that there is, like when we become Christians, God puts his spirit in us. He renews our mind. He gives us a new heart. And so for Christians, there is good in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. But it, it, that good doesn't come from us saying, I want to say yes to everything that I desire. The good actually comes when I say, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deny the things in my life that are leading me away from God. And I'm going to walk in true life of following Jesus. Once again, just another verse that, that reflects this, Galatians 5.17. It says, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us the desire that are opposite with what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. There is actually a spirit man, a spiritual aspect of you that, that wants to follow Jesus. That, that when I preach, it's the part of preaching that's easy because there's something in you that says, yes, that's what I want to do. There's also a flesh that is actually actively waging war against that. There's a war inside of us. That's why we're tired all the time because there's a battle going on. And so with the short time that I have left tonight and in my message, I just want to ask a couple of questions of us. The first question I want to ask is, what is God's vision for our lives? What is God trying to do? And the second question is, how do we in fact change? But, but I love this quote. We'll go back one slide just really quick. Just a theme that, that I began to side with the Holy Spirit against myself. That's from a pastor named Reese Howells. That's the goal. That we would get to a place where we say, you know what, Holy Spirit, I'm choosing the battle. I'm choosing your side. Let's fight against the things that are pulling me away from God. So the question is, what is God's vision for our lives? And the answer is that God's vision for our lives is that you and I, that we would look like Jesus. 
Now, this seems very basic. This seems very obvious, but it is important to get back to the fundamentals, especially at the beginning of the year as we're building a foundation. But, but I was thinking about this, what, what is God's will for our life? And, and, and I was thinking about times in my life where I have really been asking the Lord's will. And, and most of us in here, we, we have had these moments, or maybe we are in these moments right now. There are moments where we're saying, God, I'm coming up to a, a, a fork in the road. What, what path do you want me to take? And, and there are people in here right now who are like, God, I am trying to decide what college you want me to go to, what graduate program you want me to go to. This is a fork in the road. I need your wisdom. That there are people in here who are trying to decide about a relationship. God, sh- should I pursue this person and is this the person you have for me? Or I'm not sure what, what, what this next thing is. That there are people in here who are trying to figure out, God, I'm trying to discern and decide what is my, 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 my calling? What do you want me to do in life? Or, or, or what next job do you want me to do? So there are all these things that it's like, man, God, I'm, I'm trying to figure this thing out. And I've had these moments before I went to college and during college. I remember walking on Emerson Drive in Palm Bay and praying and asking God, God, is Katie the person that I'm supposed to marry? And I remember many times, even over the past couple of years, Katie and I praying together and saying, God, we're not sure what our next step is. And even we were feeling like God was stirring up something in us and God was calling us to something and we weren't sure all of what that was. And now that, you know, over the past couple of months with the new role that I've stepped into, that's, that's an exciting thing that we actually feel like, man, God has, has pointed us in the right direction for the next step. And that's so cool. So, so there's all of these things where we're praying for specifics, right? We're praying for specific things that God has called us to. But, but the overarching theme of our lives, the, the vision that God has beyond all that, because I believe God cares about every single specific. Like whatever you care about, whatever you're worried about, the thing that you're like, man, I, I don't know what the next step is. God, he literally cares about that so much. Also, bigger than that, God looks at your life and he says, my vision through all of the decisions, the big ones and the small ones, is I want you to look like Jesus. I want your life, your thoughts, your character, your desires to be like Jesus. That if if Jesus was living in your shoes, that, that you guys would look identical. That's my goal. And it's a process, it's a journey. We're all going to try to get there. But, but that's what God wants. Here, here's what the Apostle Paul wrote once in Galatians 4. His prayer was that this would happen. And he says, dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. And they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. He literally compares what his agony to see people become like Christ towards labor pains. I'm sure the women in his congregation really appreciated him relating to that. Yeah, I bet you know what labor pains go through, Paul. Anyways, that, that, that was what was happening. And so he's saying, man, I'm, I'm toiling among you. I'm working among you. I'm praying. And my goal is I want you to become like Jesus. So a lot of times we say this word. We say, God wants you to become like Jesus. Your goal is to become like Jesus. And the question kind of is, 
what does that actually mean? How do I become like Jesus? Like, I'm not going to become a first century rabbi. So how do I become like Jesus? Well, I believe that there are a couple different ways, and I just want to give us some thoughts here. That I believe as God looks at your life, as God looks at my life, and not just right now, but over the next 50 to 60 years, he's saying, I want you to become like Jesus in our actions, in our thoughts, and in our character. So our actions in Ephesians 5, it talks about living a life of love. In our thoughts, in Romans 1, it talks about us having renewed our minds so that we can discern the will of God. In Galatians 5, it gives us the fruit of the Spirit, that our character is shaped by God. So so I want to give a couple examples of this, because here's what I love about this. that, That God looks holistically, right? So often, we just think about actions. We just think about the outward. I just want to do things that look like Jesus, but God it looks at our whole lives. He wants to shape our whole hearts. And so let's just give an example. Let's, let's talk about the example of, of bitterness. Let's say that, that, that we struggle with bitterness. Let's say it's like, man, I just have anger or frustration or bitterness in my heart towards someone. Well, well there's an action side of that. There's a way that we talk. There's a way that we interact with the world if we struggle with that bitterness. And so God does want to change our actions, that our words would would be words of love, that our conduct wouldn't be defensive or or as if we were holding a spear trying to keep everybody away, but but our conduct would be conduct of, of serving people, which comes when we don't have bitterness. So God, God does want that, that actual action to happen. God does want us to outwardly take the action of forgiveness and take the action of reconciliation if that is practical. But God also wants to change our thoughts so that when we think about certain people, we don't think about them with hatred, but we think about them with compassion. God wants to actually shape our character so that we are people of of kindness, that we are people of love and of joy instead of bitterness. So God looks holistically. Let's look at another example. Let's look at the example of of pornography. Pornography is something that many of us in this room have struggled with or that do, do currently struggle with, men and women. And so, of course, with that, there's an action, right? Like, there's literally an action that that probably most of us need to stop because it's unhealthy. But it does go deeper than that. God wants to change our thoughts as well. That we don't simply think lustful thoughts, that we don't simply have these these images pop in our minds, but God wants to bring purity and, and God wants to bring cleanliness. And then in our character, that we are people of patience, that we are people of of self-control, that we are people that, that exercise compassion and love instead of exercising our flesh. That's a, that's a way that God holistically wants to change us. And so whatever we're walking through, God, yes, of course, wants us to change the action, and God, but God looks at it holistically. So often as we change the action on the outside and as we seek him, God is working on the inside. So that is what God wants us to do. He wants us to look like Jesus. Now, the, the next question that I want to ask as we wrap things up here is how do we change? How do we change? 
And I love uh, this paradigm that John Mark Comer, he shares, and it's so helpful to me. And so we're just going to talk through this for one second. And this is kind of a little luxury, okay? I realize this. It's a kind of a, a, a big graph. But, but just stay with me because I think this is really helpful. I want to talk about kind of this group of shapes up here at the top. So ignore the bottom part where it says high control, low control for a second. But just look at this group of shapes and really look at the three boxes. There's three things that we can fill our lives with that can help us to change. The first is teaching, what I'm doing right now. When you listen to a sermon, when you read a book, these things are helping us because they are giving us stories that we believe in. And we're filling our mind with the story of God, with the story of Scripture. And we're saying, I'm not just going to believe the story the world tells me. I'm going to believe the story that God is writing in the world. So teaching. And, and it says in Scripture that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. As we fill our minds with the hearing of the Word of God, we change. Also, community down there at the, the, the bottom right. That, that part of our changing doesn't just happen in isolation, but it happens in relationship. That as you and me, we're in community group or small group or discipleship group, we start talking about, hey, I'm struggling with this. I'm praying for this. I'm hoping for this. And a group of people together are holding us accountable, encouraging us, and helping us to move forward. And we also change by practice. By practice means anything that we put into practice. So if you say, I'm showing up to Harbor every week, that's a practice. If you say, I'm going to make time to pray every day, that's a practice. If you say, I'm serving in Bridge Middle School, that's a practice. Those things, as you continue to do them, there's no formation without repetition. As you continue to do them, they shape you. But, but then I love how the Holy Spirit's in the middle because all of these things, they're not just random things, but the Holy Spirit is actually working in your life as you do these things. Then there's one more thing. As you look down there at the bottom, it says, over time and through the hard knocks of life. In other words, I would love it if I could say, listen to one teaching, go to one community group, and just do a devo, and everything that you want about your life to change will change. Every frustration, every sin, every anxiety, every addiction, just, you know, show up to Harbor a couple times, read the word, go to group once. But that's not true because it takes time. Sometimes our transformation is agonizingly so slow and often God has to use trials, difficulties that we go through to change us. So that is how we change. Now, I put that graph up there because I think it's helpful for us to know, but, but I also just want to encourage you because so many of us in this room are actually committed to that change. So many of us are committed to saying, I do want to follow Jesus. I do want to become like Jesus. And like, as I look at your faces, I see you are putting these things into practice. So I just want to encourage you, like, keep going. Keep doing it. Keep fighting the good fight here because I do believe this is, in fact, how we change. And if you are looking and you're like, man, I'm, I'm missing out on something. I'm missing out on community. I don't have that practice in my life. Then use this as an opportunity to say, I want to install this. I want to take the next step. Now, as we close, I want to give you an encouragement and I want to give you a challenge. And just so you know, my iPad battery did just say it was at 5%. So it's literally impossible for me to go very long, okay? 
just so you guys are aware. It's like there is actually a time limit to this thing. Yeah, that God's just going to keep on giving them, you know? All right, so the encouragement first. It says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So God is more committed to you growing spiritually than you are. Which is awesome. There are many people in here who are very committed to growing spiritually. But God is actually more committed than you are. God is actually ensuring and he is focused. His heart, his biggest heart is saying, I want to be faithful to you and walk with you in this process. So I don't want you to feel overwhelmed. I don't want you to feel like, oh my gosh, like, like I'm on my own in this. God has actually promised in his word that if he began the good work, which, by the way, that's pretty cool. You didn't begin the good work. It wasn't like, hey, I got a good idea here. I'm going to start becoming like Jesus. No, remember, we were dead in our sins. Dead people don't do renovations. God has to do a miracle in our lives. He has to help us be born again. So salvation is from God. God did a miracle in your life to start the work. And if he did the miracle to start it, he's going to be the one to bring it to completion. So that's the encouragement. God is at work. But I want to give us a challenge as we close. It says in Matthew 5, and this is kind of one of our theme verses for the series. You can see we have a city on a hill on our graphic designed by the amazing Jacob McPherson. But it says that you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. So what Jesus is saying here is that one of the goals for me, that, that as I build my church, as I save people, and put people in churches, put people in communities. And as through my Holy Spirit, I help people to grow. My, my goal in this is that they would shine to the world. That, that it's not just to be hidden. It's not just to come in here and hang out in secret. But my goal is that, that when my Holy Spirit fills you, that you would go out into the world. That's the goal of Jesus. And so I really believe that as the Holy Spirit transforms us, that is going to be such a compelling testimony to the world. The world does not need more people that look like the world. The world does not need more people that's like, yeah, I'm exactly like you. I just happen to show up to church every once in a while. The world needs different. Different is good. And so we are called to be people of peace in a world of anxiety. We, we are called to be people of unconditional love in a world that loves to cancel each other. We, we are called to be people of boldness in a world where everyone is trying to fit in. We are called to be people of purity in a world that glorifies sensuality. There are these things that we are called to do to be different to actually stand out, 
not as a better than thou, you are pathetic and sad. We're gonna talk about that next week, that we are a resistance of love, but as a people who are different, saying Jesus is our king, and we do live differently, but the different is compelling because the different is where true life is coming from. So that is my encouragement. Some of our friends recently uh, bought a house and uh, I was over there this weekend um, just looking at it and it's empty right now. There's a couple different things that they need to do in order to actually like get the house in order for them to live in it. And so they have a list of projects and I'm super impressed. Like they're like attacking the projects. They're making it happen. They're going through the, the, the deal and it's like amazing. And so I was over there and, and they had asked me to kind of go and talk about like um, painting and like um, looking at like the walls and like fixing the spackling and stuff because I used to do that in high school. And I was like, guys, I'm not that good at it. But they're like, you're better than us. So like come do it. And so the whole time I was like, please don't let me ruin their new house. Please don't let me ruin their new house. And I don't think I did, but, you know, maybe they have to hire someone to come in behind me. I don't know. That's neither here nor there. That's just, like, part of my, you know, insecurity that I'm just letting you know about. <laughs> but, but my point is, like, like, I was just thinking about that. It's like, man, when, when you, you step into a new space, the, the first thing that you do, especially if you're owning it or you're renting it, is you're like, we got to change some things in here. We got to paint. We got to get some new furniture. We got to get some new appliances. And, like, um, if you're a single guy, you're like, I got to get one towel and like a poster of like Fight Club and then I'm good. And if you're like married to one of those like guys, like the first thing you do is like everything has to go, like literally everything right now. And then we have to start over. Like so all of those things are happening. But like we do think like renovation when we step into a space. And the Holy Spirit, when he steps into our hearts, into our lives, he, he does think renovation. Not that it's like, oh my gosh, everything, I, I hate everything, I hate this person. But, but he wants to make us like Jesus. He wants to prepare us for when Jesus comes back. And so I just want to encourage you because there, whoa, hello. We good? Was that my fault? Okay, it wasn't my fault. I'm just going to not move at all. I just want to encourage us because there are people who are perfectionists in this room and it's like, man, I got, I got so many problems. I got so many things that I'm, I got to do. And the Holy Spirit is patient. He's going to work slowly. But, but we are called to take steps of faith. And so the, the biggest encouragement that I would have is take your next step. Maybe that next step is getting community. Maybe that next step is starting to build a practice of reading scripture and prayer. Maybe that next step is saying, you know what, I am addicted to something and I do need to bring an accountability partner in to open up and to share. I don't know what the next step is, but, but take a step and open up your heart to say, God, please change me. I want you to form me into your image. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder that you want to help make us more like you. And God, I pray that we would be that community that would be a community that wants to be like you. 
But before we, we close, I just want to give an opportunity if, if, if there is anybody here who would say, Brian, I'm, I'm not a Christian. I came in here and I'm, I'm not sure everything about God's story, but I do know this, that, that I, I believe in God and I know I'm not walking with God, so, so I, need to, I need to become a Christian. And if that is you and you would say, yeah, I, I, need, to, I need to follow Jesus. I need to, to, to follow him wherever that takes me. Um, I just wanna invite you right now just to, just to have a conversation with God in this moment. And we just need to realize that apart from God, that, that we are in fact dead in our sins, but that God loves us enough to change and shape us. But it starts with us accepting that Jesus died for our sins and that he is King and he is Lord. And it starts with us saying, I wanna make him King and Lord of my life. And so if, if you are not a Christian and you wanna be, just pray a simple prayer like this. Just say, dear God, I know that I have walked away from you, but I know that you love me. I know that Jesus died for my sins and I know that he is king. Jesus, I want to make you king of my life. I want to follow you. I wanna become like you. So help me do that. Help me to be in community following you. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, Thanks so much for spending time with us. If you'd like to know more about The Harbor, please follow us on Instagram at wearetheharbor. Also, if you need prayer, feel free to send us a DM. Otherwise, tune in next time.